It is October 17th, and we are hearing a lot of talk about teams tanking for the first and the second pick with the chance to land Victor Wimbayama or Scoot Henderson. But I did some research, and very rarely do the top two picks in any draft class together combine for successful NBA careers. Stay tuned as I will go over some of the best and the worst top two picks since 1990. Good morning, good morning, good morning, and shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. I am your host, Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies, and if you're watching on YouTube, I'm representing the G League Ignite today. All right, let's just get right into it. So I did a little bit of research, and according to the numbers and the history the chances of the top two picks combined in any draft class being successful, being multi-time All-Stars or franchise players, very, 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 very slim. So does that make you a little bit hesitant about Scoot and Wimbayama? And and honestly, it's unfair to them because they shouldn't be compared to the guys from previous drafts. But if you go back and just look at some of the drafts, you will see that the number two pick, it's kind of like a, a curse in a sense. The number two pick has, hasn't has been as successful as the number one pick. But there are some guys that were selected second overall that didn't even have average NBA careers. And honestly, when I look back, I'd say the best class as far as having the, the best number one and number two pick was 90, 1992. And that was Shaquille O'Neal and Alonzo Mourning. Shaq was 15 All-Stars, 14 All-NBA selections, while Zoe was seven All-Star teams, two All-NBA selections. Other than that, it's going to be very, very, very difficult to find two guys that were selected one and two that went to at least three or four All-Star games combined, which is saying a lot considering that if you're taking a guy number one or number two, you are expecting them to be a franchise player. All right, so let's just get right into it. All right, so let's go with 1990. And this is around the time when I first really got interested in the draft. Derek Coleman and Gary Payton were the first two selections. I'm old enough to remember Derek Coleman was this super talented four who I think his game is now more suited for the modern NBA. He could shoot, he could pass, he could handle super skilled he was the first pick I mean he was definitely the best player in college basketball that year but he only made two all-star teams and one all-nba selection now talent was never his issue he had some problems with his weight some people just say he's one of these guys that probably just did not or I shouldn't say probably in my opinion just did not maximize his gifts but Gary Payton nine nba all-stars nine-time all-nba so when you combine that class, it's actually one of the best. So, I mean, that's letting you know where we're going in this episode. But now I also decided to add a, a category in a redraft. Who would replace one of the players that did not succeed or who was the best player or second best player in that draft? And so Gary Payton, if you do that draft all over again, Gary Payton was the, the best player in that draft and he went number two. So that's not bad. So you go to 1991, Larry Jackson, Larry Johnson and Kenny Anderson. Now, Kenny Anderson is someone that 
really kind of changed my life. I thought I was going to be the next Kenny Anderson. I'm left-handed. He was left-handed. He was an absolute star in college. And I had no doubt in my mind as a young kid that Kenny Anderson was going to be one of the greatest players ever. And unfortunately, when you look at Larry Johnson and Kenny Anderson combined, they combined for three All-Stars and one All-NBA appearance. Now, in that class, you could say in a redraft, you would take Dikembe Mutombo, number one. And before I get into that, prayers up to Dikembe Mutombo and his family. It came out this weekend that he is um, getting treatment for a brain tumor. And I've never met Mutombo, but I've heard nothing but great things about him as far as just him giving back to his country and building hospitals. I mean, just just a, a disappointing story to hear this weekend, but my prayers are with Matumbo and his family at this time. But back to the 91 class. In a redraft, you may say Dikembe Matumbo and Steve Smith would go one and two in a redraft if you could do it all over again. Then we talked about 92, Shaq and Morning. Those were the top two picks. But Shaq and Morning has been by far the most successful top two picks in a class. In a redraft, Someone who's maybe deciding to nitpick may say that they would take Latrell Sprewell over Alonzo Mourning. I don't think that would happen, but that is the only person in that class that actually comes close to being in consideration to replace one of the top two players, and you know it's not going to be Shaq. And this is where it gets a little tricky, right? 1993, Chris Webber was the first pick in that draft. He was just a stud out of Michigan his first two years, went to the Final Four, kind of changed college basketball along with the Fab Five from the, the big shorts to the socks. Chris Webber was an absolute college basketball legend. And throughout his career, even though it was kind of limited due to injuries and his prime wasn't as long as I would have hoped it would be, he still finished with five All-Star appearances and he was All-NBA five times. Now the second pick was Sean Bradley. Sean Bradley did not make a single All-Star team or – of course, he was not all NBA, but in a redraft, you can say Weber, Penny would go one, two, maybe Weber, Mashburn, maybe Weber, even Vin Baker, because Penny, Mashburn, and Vin Baker had much, much better careers than Sean Bradley. All right, 90, 1994, there was Glenn Big Dog Robinson, who absolutely deserved to be the first pick in that draft. Big Dog was a dominant college player. I mean, he was like an old man in college. He had the same old man game in college that he had in the NBA. And Glenn is someone that I feel like he's underrated. He made two all-star appearances, which some may say that's a disappointment for a, a top 10 pick. And it just seemed like he never reached the heights that I thought he would he would reach. And some may feel that he was kind of penalized by the NBA because he's responsible for I guess the rookie, the rookie scale contract, if I'm not mistaken, he asked for like 68 million right out of college. And it just ended up being like this big deal. And he seemed like he was kind of penalized for it by the media. His game didn't have a lot of flash and flair to it, which may have hurt him, but only two all-star appearances. Now, the second pick was Jason Kidd. There's no doubt. Kidd is a Hall of Famer. He's currently the coach of the Dallas Mavericks. Kidd went to 10 all-star appearances or had 10 all-star appearances, made all NBA 10 times, won an NBA championship, gold medal. Jason Kidd is a sure, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. We know, we know he's a Hall of Famer. But in a redraft, you may take Kidd number one or Grant Hill number two. 
And Grant Hill finished with seven all-star appearances, made all NBA five times, despite his career being really, really cut short due to like that just disgusting ankle injury that he suffered from continuing to play in the playoffs when he was hurt. And depending on how you see it, you may take Hill number one, you may take Kidd number two, but just based off of their career and their numbers, there's no doubt that Grant Hill had a much better career than Glenn Robinson. Now, 1995, now this was one of my favorite classes because one of my all-time favorite players is Rasheed Wallace. And that year, I just thought Rasheed should have been the number one pick. I thought he was better than Joe Johnson. And I'm not one of these people that's just saying like, oh, I knew I was right. But no, to me, there was no doubt that Rasheed Wallace was a much better player than Joe Smith. I'm sorry, Joe Smith at Maryland. But in reality, if Tim Duncan decided he wanted to come out that year, he would have been the top pick. But he decided to stay in school. And the top two picks in the 1995 NBA draft were Joe Smith and Antonio McDice. They combined for one all-star appearance. Joe Smith didn't make any. Joe Smith was never all-NBA. McDice made one all-star team, and he was all-NBA one time in his career. Now, when you do a redo in the 1995 draft, there's no doubt about it, Kevin Garnett will be the top pick. 15 all-star appearances he made all nba seven times he won mvp i mean he is he's a hall of famer kevin garnett is a legend and actually kind of changed basketball in a sense in an era because he was the first not the first ever but he was the first in a long time to go from high school to the nba and it kind of opened the floodgates of guys going straight from high school to the league and his success made people follow and which the nba eventually (laughs) didn't like but Kevin Garnett would be the first pick. And now with the second pick in a redraft from 1995, you may go Rasheed Wallace, four all-star appearances, won an NBA title. You may go with Jerry Stackhouse, if I'm not mistaken. Stackhouse won a scoring title. And then Michael Finley, who was selected in the late first round, ended up having two all-star appearances and having a pretty nice career. But it's just a no-brainer. Kevin Garnett would go number one, and then I would say she number two. But 1995 was a... You know, it was was a class. It was one of the first classes where there were a lot of underclassmen that were entering the NBA. It was like when when the draft started getting younger. But Joe Smith and Antonio McDice won all star appearance. That is pretty scary. So, one of the worst classes as far as top picks ever. All right, I have a lot more classes to get into, but let's talk about Rocket Money because I have a question to ask you Are you wasting money on subscriptions? Because 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about. Maybe for you, it's an unused Amazon Prime account, which is not the case for me. Or a Hulu account that never gets streamed. There's this great app that I use that helps me track all of my expenses. And because of it, I no longer waste money on subscriptions that I do not use. You may have heard of it. It's called Rocket Money, but it was formerly known as Truebill. Now, I give you a personal story. I was living overseas last year, and when I was living overseas, I needed to have this ESPN player app in order to stream some of the games and it was like $11 a month I totally forgot about it when I signed up for True Bill I realized that I was spending $11 a month on this app that I no longer need because I'm not overseas shout out to True Bill because that $11 saved me a little bit of money gave me an extra meal I got a thing for cookies so I was able to save that money and buy a little bit more cookies every month do you know how much Americans really spend a month on subscriptions? Most people think it's about 80 bucks. 
But in reality, it's like around two hundred dollars. That's right. You could be wasting hundreds of dollars each month on subscriptions that you don't even know about. But if you get Truebill, this app shows all of your subscriptions in one place and it cancels for what you do not need. It cancels the one that you do not need. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions that you didn't even know you were paying for. You may even find out you've been double charged for one subscription. And to cancel a subscription, all you have to do is press cancel and Rocket Money takes care of it for you. So you can cancel unnecessary subscriptions with Rocket Money today. Go to rocketmoney.com because seriously, you could save hundreds per year. You can get rid of the useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash locked on. It is the best app that I've ever used to save money because I had some other apps that were, or other subscriptions that were costing me money and I, I need all my money. Shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. Now make your second listen game to game. The NBA, every moment, every type of performance, every result, Locked On Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA, Eastern and Western Conference with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. Follow Game to Game from your favorite Locked On NBA team. It is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Right, I left off with the 1995 draft. So let's go to 96. 96 is arguably the best draft in NBA history. You'd be hard-pressed to find a better draft. However, the top two picks combined for 11 all-star appearances and seven all-NBA selections. And all of those belong to Allen Iverson. Now, Marcus Camby was the second pick overall. Marcus Camby had a long career, had a very good career. I mean, he was at one of the best rebounders and shot blockers in his time, but he did not make any all-star appearances as a second pick. And he was selected over, listen to these names, Kobe Bryant, Steve Nash, Sharif Abdul-Rahim, Ray Allen, Stephon Marbury, Antoine Walker, Jermaine O'Neal, and Pedro Stojakovic. Combined, they got about a gazillion all-star appearances. Now, in a redraft, I'd say if you polled 100 people in a redraft, you take Kobe number one and Alice Allen Iverson number two. Steve Nash probably number three or, or Ray Allen number three, depending on how you look at it. But Marcus Camby will probably not be a top five pick in a redraft if you did 1996 all over again. And 1997 was another class with the top two picks and it was lopsided. You had Tim Duncan, 15 all-star appearances, 15 all-NBA appearances, five titles, First ballot Hall of Famer, arguably one of the top 10 players of all time. And the second pick was Keith Van Horn, who combined for zero all-star appearances and zero all-NBA selections. If you did a redraft, you'd go Tim Duncan, number one, and Tracy McGrady, number two. Who, Even though McGrady's prime was cut short a little bit by injuries, was is Hall of Famer. Seven all-star appearances, seven-time all-NBA scoring titles, and it, it's amazing in the sense that if you go back to 1997 Keith Van Horn was a great college player went to the final four and Tracy McGrady was really until the lat till maybe like a few months before the draft was kind of unknown had a big performance in the AU uh, uh, camp maybe maybe the summer prior to it and then he kind of rose up the the draft boards but this was at a time where even though you had some success with, with Kobe, even though Kobe wasn't really Kobe at that time, you had a little bit of success and a little potential, flashes of potential that you saw with, with Garnett and Kobe. 
teams were still a little bit hesitant to select guys out of high school. And T-Mac came along slowly, really like showed some really strong flashes his last year in Toronto, then kind of blew up, well not kind of, but he blew up in Orlando. But T-Mac definitely had a much, much better career than Keith Van Horn. So again, I've covered from 1990 to 1996. And the only number two picks that had careers that kind of lived up to the hype of their expectations being selected that high was Gary Payton, Alonzo Mourning, and Jason Kidd. And again, we had one draft where Joe Smith and McDice combined for one all-star appearances. All right, 1998 was another draft where the top two picks did not live up to the hype as far as accolades. Now, Mike Bibby was the second pick, and Mike had a, a good career. Mike went to conference finals. He's He was never an all-star. He was a very solid, I'd say he was a high-level NBA starter, just a shade below all-star. Mike Oluwakandi, yeah, all right, we don't want to talk about that. But in a redraft, you have to go Dirk. Nowitzki number one, Paul Pierce number two, maybe Vince Carter number two, and then you'd say Dirk Pierce after that, maybe Anton Jameson, or, or Dirk Pierce, Vince Carter, Anton Jameson. None of those guys were the top two players in the draft. So 98 is one of these weird drafts where you have your first picks, number one and number two, combined for zero all-star games and zero all NBA appearances and again sometimes there's I mean there's still a big variance between Mike Bibby and Olo Candy because like I said Bibby was a high level starter well Olo Candy wasn't 1999 was a class where I thought it was going to be one of the better classes at the time and Elton Brand his career got off to a crazy good start I mean he was 20 and 10 like his first three years and he only had two all-star appearances. Now, he was never the same after some of the injuries. Then you have Steve Francis, who was one of the better guards in that era. He went to three all-star games. But combined, they only had five all-star appearances and one all-NBA appearance. Now, if you want to do a redraft, and this is where it gets really interesting. I think this would be, this would be very debatable. If you do a redraft, who goes number one in 99 based off of their career? Do you go with Steve Francis? Do you go with Baron Davis, who had an all-NBA performance or all-NBA season? Rip Hamilton was a three-time All-Star, was an NBA champion. Ron Artest was in that class. He had, um, you know, he won an NBA championship, hit a big shot in the championship. He was an All-Star. He was all-NBA, one of the better defenders of the era. But you may have to say, if you do a redraft of 1999 based off of careers, Sean Marion had the best career. Four all-star appearances, two all-NBA appearances, won a championship. How many of you would have thought, just off the top of your head, that Sean Marion had the best career from the 1999 NBA draft? I know for me, I would have not, I would have not guessed that. But when you look at the numbers, he he has a strong case. All right, 2000 draft, Kenya Martin, high-level starter, never an all-star. Well, he was an all-star one time, and then you had Stromile Smith, Stromile Swift, who. Seems to be more popular today because he got some of the most amazing dunks on, on on YouTube, amazing highlight reel dunks. But that was about it. He was all flash, no substance. Didn't make any all-star appearances. And the 2000 class was, was pretty weak. If you had to do a redraft of 2000, I mean, Kenya Martin could probably still go number one. After that, Mike Miller, Jamal Crawford, Jamal McGlure had as many all-star appearances as Kenyon Martin. 
I'd say if you had to do a redraft of the 2000 NBA draft based off of careers, you might. I mean, Jamal Crawford had the longevity, so he might go number one. Michael Red, maybe? Mike Miller? Kenya Martin? Very interesting class. Now, 2001 is a, a, a class that um, it has one of the bigger. <sighs> I mean, one of the guys, when you think of bust, one of the guys that comes to mind, if you had your Mount Rushmore of bust, Kwame Brown is, is, is you know, one of the names that comes to mind. I think there was definitely much worse bust from top two picks. But Kwame Brown had a, you know, a long career. He's kind of blew up on social media recently with his beef with, with Gilbert Arenas and then Steve Smith and so on. But Kwame Brown and Tyson Chandler went number one and number two. And they combined for one all-star appearance. Now, Tyson Chandler is carrying that one all-star appearance. Chandler ended up having a, a long career, won a championship with the Mavs, won Defensive Player of the Year with the Knicks, if I'm not mistaken. But in a redraft, you got to go with Pau Gasol, number one. Maybe. If you don't go with Pau Gasol, number one, then you got to go with Tony Parker, number two. Tony Parker, six all-star appearances, Four times All-NBA, five championships. Gasol, same, six All-Star appearances, four times All-NBA. Gasol won multiple championships with the Lakers. It, it is a no-brainer that you got to go with Gasol or Parker. And depending on, you know, <laughs> who, who you like, those are your two guys. After that, I would say Joe Johnson and then maybe Zach Randolph. And then after that, maybe Tyson Chandler. But... 20 or 2001 class was another class where your first and second pick did not have two of the best five careers in that class. Now, 2002, Yao Ming, Yao Ming's a Hall of Famer. Unfortunately, his career was limited due to injuries, but when he played, Yao was dominant. Eight all star appearances, five times all NBA. The second pick was Jay Williams, whose career unfortunately was cut short from a motorcycle accident. But in a redraft, I'd say based off of their careers, Depending on how you view it, you may say Yao number one and Amari Stoudemire number two. Amari came out of high school, went to six all-star games, was like uh, kind of like a revolutionary four or five. I mean, he kind of was ahead of his time as, as a role man. And Amari was another guy that, man, if he didn't have the injuries, man, what could he have been? I mean, from the eye injuries to the knee but when Amari was healthy, Amari was he, he was a special offensive talent. I mean, he was deadly from the elbows. And he was just your pick and pop, pick and roll threat. And man, I would love to see Amari in, in today's NBA. So that was a class. Again, the number two pick. Due to injuries, number one and number two, you did not have two all-stars. 2003, now we all know about the 2003 class. LeBron James with number one and Darko Milicic, who's probably one of the most famous busts, if not the most famous bust in NBA history, went number two. And Darko was drafted ahead of Carmelo Anthony, who went to 10 All-Star games, Dwayne Wade, who went to three All-Star games, and Chris Bosh, who went to 11. So in a redraft, I think most people would say LeBron and Wade some may say LeBron and Melo, but what is pretty surprising to me is that Chris Bosh made more all-star games than Carmelo Anthony. Now, Carmelo had more all-NBA appearances, but again, this is another draft where the first and second pick did not combine, where you did not have multiple all-star appearances from the two from two different players. So if you, now I'm going down the list, 
2000, Stroh Miles Swift, zero all-star appearances. Tyson Chandler, 2001, zero all-star appearances. Jay Williams, 2002, zero all-star appearances. Darko Milicic, 2003, zero all-star appearances. And then I'm going to go to number 2004, Emeka Okafor, zero all-star appearances. And the first pick in 2004 was Dwight Howard, who is, I think, a Hall of Famer. It's like he's played forever, but he just had like a very dominant eight-year window. And then it just kind of went a little bit downhill. Then he became a journeyman. Like, I mean, how many remember Dwight played for the Hawks, the Hornets, the Wizards, the Sixers? Like, it just something, it just, what 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 could have been? And it's still, despite the fact that it's like, something, like he just kind of fell off a cliff in a sense. And maybe it's because the game changed. Dwight Howard is still possibly... A, a Hall of Famer because the eight years that he played, he was the most dominant defender. Now, in a redraft of 2004, I say Dwight still goes number one, and then that's where it would probably get a little tricky because you could say Luau Dang, Andre Iguodala. They Dang had two All Star appearances. Iguodala's still playing multiple championships. Al Jefferson didn't make the All Star team, but made All NBA one year. So in a redraft, you may go Dwight Howard and Andre Iguodala, one and two. All right, and last one before I go to break, 2005 was another class where the top two picks were nowhere near the best two players in the class. Andrew Bogan went number one, and Marvin Williams went number two. And those guys, neither were franchise guys, right? The top two players in that draft, without a doubt, Chris Paul and Darren Williams and at one point Chris Paul and Darren Williams were neck and neck at least I thought they were neck and neck for the best point guard in the league outside of Steve Nash at that time but when you look at it Darren Williams only made three all-star teams and he made all-nba only twice and Chris Paul 12 all-star appearances 11 all-nba teams I mean Paul's his in longevity and endurance and just how long he's been able to play at a high level has been crazy considering that He's a small guard. But again, 2005, the top two picks combined for no All-Star games. All right. When we return, I have more information on my research. But I want to talk to you about Bet Online. That's because Bet Online is your number one source for football betting this season. You can find all of the latest developments, team matchups, news podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all of your sport wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and the easiest way to check on all your favorite games and events, including Major League Baseball, MMA, Boxing, and Golf. Head to BetOnline.net and use your mobile device to learn more. That is because BetOnline is where the game starts. All right, once again... This is Rafael Barlow, Locked On NBA Big Board, or Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. I had a long night. My son didn't go to sleep. I don't know why. He just felt like he was missing something. Refused to go to sleep. So I'm a little exhausted. All right, let's talk about 2006. 2006, another class with the top two picks. We're not franchise guys. Andrea Bargnani didn't make an all-star team, was never all-NBA. May have been a little bit ahead of his time. I think he would be like a really good player in today's NBA. But the best player from that class is LaMarcus Aldridge. LaMarcus Aldridge may, may be able to sneak into the Hall of Fame, maybe. He is like 
the best of the rest of the guys that have, are outside of the Hall of Fame. But LaMarcus Aldridge had a good career. He went to seven All-Star games, was all NBA five times. After that, you got Brandon Roy, whose career was cut short due to injuries. You got Rajon Rondo. You got Paul Millsaps. Millsaps went to four All-Star games. Rondo went to four, won championship with Boston. Well, another one with L.A. Has, like, the greatest championship picture with him and his son after the, the, the bubble championship. But Kyle Lowry could possibly have the second best career in the 20 or 2006 NBA draft class. And Lowry came on late in his career, but he six all-star appearances, won an NBA championship. Kyle Lowry could possibly be the second best player, maybe even the first from the 2006 class. And then 2007, we all know about 2007, Greg Oden and Kevin Durant. I'm a Blazers fan, so it's kind of a sore spot. I mean, what could... What could have been with Kevin Durant and Brandon Roy on the same team? Odin, I don't even think he played 100 NBA games. And Durant, without a doubt, is the top player. I mean, he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Going to go down as one of the best scorers in NBA history. After that, in a redraft, you may say Al Horford, number two. Mike Conley has had a long, steady career who just got his first All-Star appearance recently. Then you got Joachim Noah, who had a pretty good run there. Maybe Mark Gasol is the second best player in the 2007 class. Won a championship with Toronto. Went to three All-Star games. All to NBA twice. Was Defensive Player of the Year. He was a he was I mean he was a throw-in in a trade for his brother. So again. 2007, we got a big difference between a guy that went to 12 All-Star games and a guy that went to zero. 2008 was a class that, man, if every, if 2008 was just a, a class that I thought was going to be one of the best classes, and it had a tremendous start at the beginning, but unfortunately, the injuries to, to Derrick Rose kind of weakened the, the class a little bit as far as like numbers throughout their career because Derrick Rose only went to three all-star games now he won an MVP was the youngest MVP ever and unfortunately he just was never the same after tearing his ACL then he just had multiple injuries but he's been able to be steady the last few years and he's you know it's 2022 going into 2023 so he's had a long career then there's Michael Beasley talent was never Mike's issue Mike did not live up to the hype I can say that I thought Mike had, outside of maybe Durant and Carmelo, the best freshman season that I can remember. I mean, he was dominant. It was like 26 to 13. I mean, he was just unbelievable from the short corner. And, you know, I had a chance to talk with him a few years back, and he was like, he was fat then. And Mike just never lived up to, to his talent. And even now, Mike has NBA talent, but it's just some, some other factors outside of it. But in a redraft... Based off of their careers, you'd have to say Russell Westbrook, number one. He's won an MVP. I know he's not the most popular guy right now, but nine all-star appearances, nine times all-NBA. There's no doubt that Russell Westbrook has had the best career from the 20 or 2008 class. I keep saying 20, and like I want to say 2022. And then after that, Kevin Love, Roy Hibbert. Roy, Roy Hibbert. Who would have thought Roy Hibbert? would have more all-star appearances than Michael Beasley. DeAndre Jordan was a second-round pick. More all-star appearances than Michael Beasley. Brooke Lopez, a better career than Michael Beasley. Who would have thought that? So again, 2008, another class where the top two picks were not the best players, did not have the best careers. And then there's 2009, 
who Hashim to be the biggest bust in NBA history. Somehow he does not get the the attention. You know, you may hear about Darko, you may hear about Anthony Bennett, but Mike Hashim to beat averaged like three points a game for his career. For his career as the number two pick. The biggest bust in NBA history. And he was selected over James Harden, who won MVP, 10-time All-Star, 7 times All-NBA. DeMarcus Cousins, 5-time All-Star, 3-time All-NBA. And Steph Curry, who some people are saying is the greatest point guard of all time. Some people don't even think he's a point guard. But Curry, look at the numbers. You're surprised. Eight All-Star appearances, eight times All-NBA. You think it's a little bit more, but he did have some injuries. But he's won multiple championships. He has totally revolutionized and changed the game. And Hashim Tabit was selected over him. Now, the first pick was Blake Griffin, who, in the words of Jay-Z, had a spark when he started. Blake had a good career. Um, had some some knee injuries. And, you know, it's just like he's very much a shell of himself right now. But Blake, you know, in a redraft, Blake doesn't go number one. In a redraft, you go Steph Curry number one and you go Harden number two. Then Blake, but Hashim to beat, awful. 2010, John Wall was the number one pick. Evan Turner was the number two pick. Evan Turner, no all-star appearances. In a redraft, I would say based off of their careers, you go Paul George, number one. John Wall, number two. And DeMarcus Cousins, number three. 2011, another class. Kyrie Irving, NBA Hall of Fame potential. I mean, one of the best players in the NBA, even even him, as great as his career has been, talent-wise, I mean, you can probably say he's a top-five talent in the NBA. But seven all-star appearances, three times all-NBA, won a championship with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And then there's Derrick Williams, who went number two. Derrick Williams is out of the league, and he's been out of the league for a few years. In a redraft, I would say Kyrie number one. No, you know, in a redraft, Kyrie is not even guaranteed to go number one. It, it is a big debate between do you go with Kawhi Leonard number one, do you go with Jimmy Butler number one, or do you go with Klay Thompson number one. But either way, Derrick Williams does not belong in that same class. Career fizzled out after a few years. And again, Derrick Williams. So uh, let me go down the list. You got Beasley to beat Evan Turner, Derrick Williams, Marvin Williams, Emeka Ofor. Darko Milicic, Jay Williams, Kwame Brown, Strohmouth Swift, Keith Van Horn, Mike Bibby, Marcus Camby, Joe Smith. All of these guys were selected first or second and did not even make one NBA All-Star game. Roy Hibbert made more NBA All-Star teams than, than those guys combined. All right. 2012, Anthony Davis and Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Huge difference in careers there. In a redraft, you'd probably say AD number one. And after that, it's between maybe Dame Lillard, Bradley Bill, Draymond Green, and Chris Middleton. have all had great careers after that. So I'd say in a redraft, the consensus would probably go AD number one, Dame number two, Bill number three, and then Draymond Green, who was a second-round pick. So is Chris Middleton. But Michael Kidd Gilchrist, who is not even 30 years old, and he is out of the league. So, again, another draft. So, from 2008 to 2012, the second pick, Kidd Gilchrist, Derek Williams, Evan Turner, Hashim Tabit, and Michael Beasley. Nowhere near close to living up to their potential. 2013, famously known as the Anthony Bennett draft. Anthony Bennett is another guy that, when you think of busts, his face 
comes up on the the bus Mount Rushmore. And then the second pick was Victor Oladipo, who in a redraft does not go number two or number three or number four. Because in a redraft, 2013 was sneakily, if that's even a word, sneaky good class. It may not be good in depth, but the, the talent at the top, you got Giannis, one of the greatest players ever. And he's still... Super young. He's already been a six all-star game, six times all-NBA, multiple MVPs, and he is an NBA champion. And then you got Rudy Gobert. Whether you like Rudy or not, Rudy is a Hall of Famer. Compare Rudy Gobert's career stats to the Kimbe Mutombo's, and Mutombo is an all-star and a Hall of Famer. Gobert is neck and neck, and Gobert still has years to go. And then there's CJ McCollum. So... Players that were selected one and two in 2013 NBA draft wouldn't even go one and two. Maybe not even in the top five in a redraft. 2014 was a big draft. <laughs> a, a, a class where everyone was hyped coming into this season or coming into that season because it was the Andrew Wiggins, Jabari Parker. These two guys were thought to be the next NBA superstars. They had a, a head-to-head matchup, one of, one of the few times where you get to see the projected one and number two picks meet up early in the college basketball season. And in a redraft, they don't go one and two. In a redraft, you got to go with Embiid and Jokic. And you can pick and choose which one that you think is the better of the two. But Jabari Parker, again, another guy. Zero all-star appearances, zero all-NBA selections. Andrew Wiggins just had his first all-star game. So combined, Wiggins and Parker, one all-star game. 2015, Carl Anthony Towns goes number one. D'Angelo Russell goes number two. Ironically, they're teammates now. Towns has had a great career so far. Maybe not as far as wins and losses, but you can make a case and say Carl Anthony Towns is the greatest shooting big man in NBA history. I mean, his career numbers, when you look at it on paper, he's a better shooter than Dirk. I mean, he is a center, a seven-footer that is a threat to go 50-40 from the floor. Maybe not the 90, but 50-40 as a center. And it's not on like a small volume of attempts. But in a redraft, does Carl Anthony Towns go number one? I'd say probably Devin Booker. Three all-star appearances, one all-NBA. feel like he should have more. Went to the NBA Finals. I think Devin Booker's still underrated. Like, it seems like all the credit goes to Chris Paul with the Suns. But D'Angelo Russell, one all-star appearance. He's still young. He still has, has time. But... In a redraft, there's no way D'Angelo Russell is the second player in that draft. Russell has as many all-star appearances as Kristaps Porzingis. All right, let's get down to the end. Guys are younger here. So 2016, Ben Simmons and Brandon Ingram. I think both of those guys have lived up to the hype. Both of those guys are, you know, you you imagine they're going to have multiple all-star appearances going forward. Maybe some more all-NBA appearances. Ben Simmons, three-time all-star, one-time all-NBA. Brandon Ingram, one-time all-star. But in a redraft, especially today, with, with everything that's going on with Ben Simmons, does Ben Simmons go number one? You can say Jalen Brown could go number one in a redraft. Pascal Siakam has as many all-star appearances as Brandon Ingram. DeJounte Murray, who was selected at the end of the first round, has as many all-star appearances as, as Brandon Ingram. But the guy who has the second most all-star appearances from the 2016 class is DeMontis Sabonis. So in a redraft, do you go Jalen Brown and Sabonis? Is this a class where the top two guys, Simmons and Ingram, may not go one and two in a, in a redraft? Very interesting. Now, 2017 was a class that I, I, I was really high on. That was the first class for me starting NBA Draft Junkies. You got Markel Foltz went number one. Lonzo Ball went number two. 
combined, they have zero all-star appearances, zero all-NBA appearances. And combined, you can honestly say both have been disappointments. In a redraft, they definitely don't go one and two. In a redraft, you're going Jason Tatum, number one. Donovan Mitchell, number two. If not Donovan Mitchell, number two, then you're going Bam Adebayo, number two. So this is another class, 2017, where the top two picks have not lived up to the hype. 2018, DeAndre Ayton went number one. Marvin Bagley went number two. Again, they're still young. They haven't made any all-star appearances, and Ayton probably has the much better chance of the two. But in a redraft, you're going Luka Doncic and Trey Young, one and two. There's no doubt about that. Luka Doncic and Trey Young have both led their teams to the conference finals. Luka has made All-NBA three times since 2018. Trey has made All-NBA once. This is a no-brainer. Again, another class where the number one and number two pick did not live up to the hype. 2019 is a class where you can say that the number one and number two pick in a redraft are, without a doubt, the two best players in their class, and that's Zion Williamson and John Morant. Only case that you can say has a chance to go above one of those guys, which is very, very rare or, or, or very crazy, uh, but Darius Garland. Long term, because Garland probably has the least injury histories, despite the fact that he was the one that missed his freshman year due to injuries, because uh, Ja has misses like 20 games a year, and his style of play, you have to wonder is it good for longevity because he's such an aggressive downhill slasher? Zion missed the whole season. But, I mean, combined, they all have one all-star appearance. But in a redraft, you're going Zion and John Morant. 2020, Anthony Edwards and James Wiseman, those are the, those were the top two players. I think in a redraft, you're definitely going Anthony Edwards or LaMelo. Or you, you go LaMelo number one, Anthony Edwards. I don't think Wiseman, well, I, I'm almost certain Wiseman doesn't go one and two in a redraft. Now, 2021 is a class that everybody loves. Cade Cunningham and Jalen Green were number one. You have to anticipate that those guys are going to be one of the few classes where the one or the first and the second pick live up to the hype and lead their franchises, just based off what we've seen after one year. But then there's Scotty Barnes. There's Evan Mobley. 2021 was a historic class. And then this year, there's Paolo Bencaro and Chet Holmgren. And we are already at the point where Chet Holmgren has missed or will miss his rookie year. So I said all that to say this. Everyone is hyped about Victor Wimbayama and Scoot Henderson being the top two picks in the 2023 NBA draft. But the chances of both of them living up to the hype, being multi-time all-stars, franchise guys, and leading their team to a championship is slim to none. How crazy is that? Well, thank you for your time for today. Thank you for making the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. Now for your second listen, check out the Locked On NBA podcast. The NBA season is here and our local NBA experts and insiders have you covered on and off the court all season long. All the biggest stories around the NBA every Monday through Friday in less than 30 minutes. It's available on YouTube, Odyssey, and wherever you get your podcast. Once again, it's Rafael Barlow. Hopefully everyone has a great week. NBA basketball is back. Stay tuned for great NBA insight from the Locked On NBA crew. But I am out. I got to get some rest because my son didn't sleep last night. Peace.